Well, thank you, Percy, Stephanie, Haley. We're discovering more and more musical talent here as our church grows, and we're blessed, so blessed, so thankful, thankful to have godly songs we can sing, thankful to have people who want to sing, thankful to have a congregation that sings and proclaims the truth through song. Music's not just something to sit back and listen to, but in church, and a true church, music ministers to you, it ministers to your neighbor, to your believers in Christ that are here gathered together. Well, if you would open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, this mighty letter written by the Apostle Paul, this mountain peak, this Mount Everest of a New Testament book. We started some weeks ago doing an expositional preaching series on the book of Romans. And I'm glad to say we haven't made a lot of progress because we are taking each verse in, sometimes one, sometimes two, sometimes more verses. And you'll notice in the bulletin, I plan to take three. However, last night I decided that's way too much and I've got to cut some and just keep us within the hour. And so we're just going to look at verse eight. But it is part of the whole paragraph here, uh, Romans 1, 8 through 15. And it's all one um, idea here by the Apostle Paul where he's telling us about his prayer life, specifically his prayers for the church in Rome. And then he gives some reasons as to why he's praying those prayers. So I want to read to you the whole paragraph before we start. So you get the context. It's important to get the context. By the way, expository preaching means that we take that section of scripture, whether it's a verse or a paragraph, sometimes more, we take it. I have studied it. I've translated it, in this case, from the Greek. I have uh, studied the historical context, the context in the Bible, looked at the grammar, looked at all of that, and now come before you to proclaim the Word of God. The actual meaning that God intended to put right here in the text can be discovered through all of that. And now we come as a church to listen to that and to have it affect our worship, have it affect our hearts, and apply these truths in our life. So Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, and each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you And have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So the title of today's sermon is Praying for the Church. That's what Paul is doing here. That's what he's talking about. We want to look at his prayer. We're not apostles. We can't pray this kind of prayer, but we can learn a lot from it. And we can pray a prayer for our church very similar to it. 
And so the first part, his prayer is broken up into different parts. The very first part is giving thanks for the body. Giving thanks for the body. That's what verse 8 is all about. He starts off his prayer by giving thanks. Giving thanks means that we are grateful to God. We are grateful to God for God himself saving us, for all the blessings that God gives us, including the church. We are grateful for the local church. And so today we look here at the second paragraph of the book of Romans. The first paragraph was all about Paul and his qualifications, the fact that he is an apostle to the Gentiles, who he is, what the gospel that he preaches is all about. And then he finished that paragraph in verses 6 and 7 by telling us the church in Rome, who they are. He told us about them, that they were divinely called by God, that they were saints, not some special super Christians, but holy, meaning a believer, meaning declared, set apart, holy by God the Father. So now he gets into the letter a bit further. And as he normally does in letters, he wants to tell them his prayer for them. He, he cares dearly for this church. This is not just some church he's never visited, not just some Christian church out there. He cares dearly for them, and he wants to let them know that he's always praying for them, that he thanked God for them. He did this in almost every letter he wrote to the churches. Now, all the other churches that he wrote to, he had been there, if not planted the church. Not so with Romans. He hadn't been there. He didn't plant the church. He intends to go there. This is his letter that he's sending ahead of his visit. He did not say thanks, though, to the Galatians. When he wrote the letter to the Galatians, there was such a doctrinal issue there, such a heretical teaching going on, that I don't think he wanted to spend the time to say, here's how I'm praying for you. No doubt he prayed for the Galatians, but he was so ready to get into that doctrinal issue and to declare truth versus the error they had learned, that he skipped that prayer section. All the other letters, though, indeed have a written out prayer or at least a description of what he is praying for. And so even though there's no apostles today, even though we didn't go out and plant all of these churches around the world to pray for them, we can indeed pray for our local church. And we can learn lessons right here from Paul. I mean, he can, we can even take some of these and pray for other churches as well, churches that we know, churches that we're helping to plant now and in the future. So as we consider this, this first lesson, you need to know the main point of the whole message is you must thank God for your local church. It's not an option. It's not something that Paul says would be a good idea. He says he does it. And in other letters, and even in Romans, the implication is we must thank God for all things, including the body of Christ that he's put us in right here. So here's the main point. You must thank God for all your brothers and sisters. And Paul's going to give us three aspects of giving thanks for the church. What's the church? It's not the building. It's your brothers and sisters in Christ right here. It's your brothers and sisters that make up this church. So Paul gives us three aspects just in verse 8. First of all, the mediator for giving thanks. Paul tells us about the mediator that we must have to even give thanks to God. He starts off by saying first. First, the very first thing. I thank my God through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He says, first, 
which makes us think there should be a second and a third. Well, it's something that Paul often does. And we can assume in letters of this time, the person dictating it would just keep writing and not go back and say, excuse me, Paul, you didn't say second. But he does have other points, and we'll get to those in following weeks. He does have other points in this prayer. But first, the very first thing on his list is that he thanks God, his God, through Jesus Christ. Notice he says, through Jesus Christ. Don't forget these prepositions like through have a meaning. I know if you're like me in English class, especially in elementary school, you did not like grammar. A few of you did. A few teachers here. I did not. And now, as I'm studying the Bible, it's so key. Through tells us the agency, the means by which we can pray to God. This little phrase tells us how Jesus Christ, our Lord, helps us in our prayers to the Father. He, he serves as our mediator. Christ is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that very explicitly. For there is one God. This is again Paul writing here. 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator. So the God there is God the Father. And there's one mediator also between God and men. The man Jesus Christ. They're focusing on Christ's humanity. That you can't even pray to God without going through Jesus Christ. Fully God. Fully man. He is a mediator. He is our mediator. If you're a believer in Christ, he's your mediator. What what does a mediator do? It's someone who goes between two parties in an attempt to reconcile them. Christ goes between us and God the Father. We do not have direct access to God the Father any other way. Before you were saved, there was no promise that God would hear your prayers, much less answer your prayers. Just because God created us doesn't give us access to his throne room. We have to go through our mediator, the Bible says. Jesus Christ, God the Son, our mediator to God the Father. That's how we know that God hears our prayers. We don't have to ask. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to think, does God really hear us when we pray? He does because we have a mediator, Jesus Christ the Son, right there sitting at the right hand of the Father who is interceding for us. He is mediating for us. Go forward in Romans chapter 8 to verse 34. Romans 8, 34, Paul says, Christ Jesus is he who died. And then he goes on to say, yes, rather, who was raised? He says, look, Christ died, but he's raised and he's at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. He is there taking our requests to God. He is there taking our prayers to the Father. He is interceding for all the prayers that we pray. In fact, that's one of his roles as the risen Christ in heaven. What is Jesus doing today? We know what he came to do. He came to die on the cross. He came to first teach his disciples and proclaim the gospel. Then he died on the cross for sinners. Then he was raised again on the third day. Then he ascended. But what's he doing now? Is he just waiting for the end times? Yes. But what's he doing in that process? Well, to see that, we've got to go forward to the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is very clear as to what Jesus is doing. He's doing many things, of course. He's upholding the whole universe, the Bible says. But a couple of things that connect with this idea of mediator are found in Hebrews 4. Go to Hebrews 4.14. 
And this is a wonderful passage. How do you know your prayers are being heard? How do you even know as a believer that God would hear your prayers? That God would sympathize with us? We're so different than God. We're so different than the Father. He is fully spirit. We are flesh and spirit. So verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Christ, who's passed through the heavens, that's his ascension, Jesus, the son of God, just right there, there's so much theology. He's the high priest. He's ascended into heaven. He's the son of God. His human name is Jesus. Because of that, the writer here says, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast to our belief, to our faith, to the things we believe, the trust we have in Christ. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. This isn't a high priest that's all spirit and not come in the flesh. This is one who's actually taken on flesh. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Christ came, he lived a perfect life, he never sinned, but he was tempted in all areas, all categories of sin. Not every single sin that you could imagine but every category of sin. He spent 40 days just being tempted by Satan as he was fasting in the desert. Therefore, verse 16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we pray, when we're giving our prayers to God like Paul did for the Romans, they go through Christ our mediator who is at the right hand of God, who is our high priest, who took on flesh, who went through temptation, and he understands. He understands what his people are going through. Not just because he's God, of course, yes, he is, but also because he lived a human life. And so we ought to draw near with confidence. When Paul prayed for the Romans, he says, this is through Jesus Christ, I can draw near with confidence to God the Father. Go forward to Hebrews 7. In verse 25, you'll see this again here. It comes up multiple times in Hebrews. Just hitting a few passages here. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able to save forever. This isn't just, oh, I believe today, but maybe I'll, I'll lose my salvation tomorrow. No, he's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. If, if you're God's and you've come to God through Christ, in other words, if you're truly a believer, if you've truly been saved, then he will save you forever. There's no dropping out of this. Praise the Lord. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's continually interceding for us in heaven. He's continuing to make intercession on behalf of our prayers and our needs and all the things that we ask. When we say, God, please forgive us for this sin today, Christ is there interceding for us. We know God hears and we know God is faithful and will answer in his own time, in his own way. So Paul says, I pray, I give thanks. That's the very first thing he does. He gives thanks to God for the Romans, and he wants us to know that's through Jesus Christ. That's important. It can't just be Paul of his own strength. It's through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we have absolutely no guarantee that God will hear our prayers. We only have access to him through Christ. So, since Christ is our great high priest, realize every time you pray and when you give thanks to the church or you give thanks to God for the church, he will hear you because of Jesus. Secondly, and this is huge. Secondly, look at the subject of giving thanks. 
What is Paul giving thanks about? What's the subject here? For you all. He hasn't even met all of them. He doesn't even know all of them. He knows a few of them, but he's never been there. He didn't plant the church. The church has grown over the years anyway. He doesn't even know all of them. I'm sure they have sins. I'm sure they have weaknesses. And he says, I pray for you all. He thanked God for the whole church in Rome because they were one body. They're the body of Christ. He didn't just thank them for the super Christians. He didn't just thank them for the best ones, for the leaders, for the deacons, for the super Christians who read their Bible every day, for the ones who pray all the time. No, all of them. It's a key part in Paul's prayer. He wants them to hear this letter read in the church and know that he's praying for them and every single one of them. Almost as if he had a prayer list. He probably didn't. He probably didn't know all the specific names. But you get the sense in some of his other letters, like to the Philippians, that he has almost a sense of listing the names in his head as he prays to God for them. We must thank thank God for all our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of them. Every member is a vital part of the body of Christ located here at Grace Bible Church. Everyone's vital. You got to thank God for your favorite person here and your least favorite person here. You got to thank God for the person who annoys you and the person that you just love to be around. And let's not fool ourselves. There's always a mix. There's always people you'd rather be around that you're closer with. That's fine. But thank God for all of them. Every believer that's part of this church, every believer, you should be thankful. There's no accident. It's not just by accident that you're here today. And if you're a member of this church, that's not because you just stumbled in the door. We held you down and we forced you to sign on the dotted line. God brought you here. If you believe in God's providence, if you believe in God's sovereignty, he he brought you here for a reason. There's no accident. If you joined the church, if you made a covenant with this body, then you're a hand, you're a foot, you're an eye, you're a mouth, you're some other part of the body then. Bodies together. It's connected. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. What is this idea that Paul says, you all? Why does he say the whole church? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And again, the Apostle Paul, this is his theology that's behind this one little phrase in Romans, you all. 1 Corinthians 12, and starting in verse 12. They got all kinds of problems. Church is basically falling apart because of all the sin running rampant in the church. Here's what he says to them. For even as the body is one. Wait a second, Paul. I thought the body was divided in Corinth. No, the body's one, he says. And it has many members. It's one body with different members, different parts. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into the body. Whether Jews or Greeks, doesn't matter your background, whether slaves or free, doesn't matter your ethnicity. We're all part of one body and we're made to drink of one spirit, one Holy Spirit. The spirit's not divided in the church. The spirit's not split up in the church. We don't get a little piece, each of us, of the spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. Now look how he describes this. For the body is not one member, but many. Many parts to the human body. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. The foot might say, well, you know, I'm not a hand and I'm not happy about that. And Paul says, you're still part of the body. 
And if, he, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less the part of a body. The ear is still part of the body. The ear can't, it can try to speak up and say, I'm not part of the body, but it is, Paul says. It is part of the body of Christ. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Well, sometimes when it comes to spiritual gifting, we always want the spiritual gifting that someone else has. We'd just be going around being a lot of ears and no eyes. Or a lot of mouths. That would really be in trouble. We'd be a lot of mouths, but no ears, no hands, no feet. He goes on to say, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body as he desired. He placed them as he desired. When Paul says, I pray for you all, he already has this theology in mind. God has placed them there. I said it was God's providence that you're here. That's because God has placed you here. It says it right here in the letter to the Corinthians. He knew that when he was writing to the Romans. He goes on here in 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body will seem, which seem to be weaker are necessary. Even the weak members are necessary? Yes. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, even the sinners who continue to struggle, they need biblical counseling, they need help, and they fall into sin too often. Yeah, that's part of the body. That's part of the you all that Paul was praying to God, giving thanks for them. On these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks. So we're all here helping one another. And he goes on to talk about how there's no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. We know this to be true. When somebody dies, that's a member of our church that grieves us. Not because they've done anything necessarily to us, but simply because it's a part of the body that's gone. When somebody leaves the church, whether because they choose to or because they move away, that grieves us because that's a part of the body. Now, God heals the body and God adds new hands and new eyes, new ears. God has designed the body to function a specific way. So when Paul says, I pray for you all and I give thanks, he's talking about everyone in that body. Even the people that might annoy you in the church. Look at Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 1. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus occasionally had problems. They're going to have major problems by the time you get to the time of of the book of Revelation. But here Paul starts off the chapter by saying, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord. He's, he's in chains in Rome. This is later, after the book of Romans was written. He's in chains. He's a prisoner really of the Lord, though not the Romans. And he's begging them, he's imploring them, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, act like Christians. Live out the Christian life, he says. Don't go on sinning. Don't go on causing problems. Don't go on living your own fleshly ways. He says, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. How are we supposed to walk as Christians among the body? That's, that's his uh, goal here. You'll see later he talks about we're unified, one body, one Lord, one spirit in the local body. 
in the local church. What is he saying here? Well, we're to do so in humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Showing tolerance. If you look up this word here, showing tolerance, it has to do with putting up with people that annoy you. That's literally what Paul's saying. Show tolerance for even the people that might annoy you. Bear up with them. Put up with them. Tolerate someone who's difficult, someone who's foolish. You say, look, I love you, and I want what's best for you, and you put up with it. And Paul says that you do that. Not because you just overlook and forget about it, but you want to help that person grow. You want to help them grow in the faith. And so Paul gave thanks for all of the Christians in Rome, even the ones that other believers there thought they had to put up with, people with personality quirks, people with different issues. He says, overlook their faults. Don't make a big deal of it, even though it may irritate you. Living the Christian life may not sound difficult when you just think of yourself, but you don't live the Christian life by yourself. You know, it's hard enough just to work at our own sanctification. But we also have all of these people with us, which is a blessing. And sometimes they need our help. Sometimes they need our love. Sometimes they need our care. And Paul says, I thank God for all of you in Rome. Do we thank God for everyone in our church? Everyone, every believer in our church, every member of the church, do we give thanks for that? Paul thanked God for all those people there in Rome. He hadn't even met them all, and he thanks God for them. Because he knows without them, there is no church. Without those believers, there's not a church in Rome. Thirdly, the last one is the reason for giving thanks. Paul gives a reason here for giving thanks. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. He gives thanks through Christ. Christ is the mediator who intercedes for us before the Father. The subject, the people that he's giving thanks for are the Roman church, the Roman believers. What specifically about them does he want to mention? Their faith. It's because of your faith. Because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've trusted in him for salvation. They've turned to him. They've turned away from their own works. They've turned away from their pagan gods. They've turned away from their lust. We heard a testimony today. Turned away from his sin and turned to Christ. That's what it means to have faith. That you trust in him. That he's the only thing, the only person, the only way that you're going to get to the Lord forever and ever in heaven. The only way you can be saved from God's wrath. It's Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have faith. All of your trust is in him. You don't just say, okay, Jesus, you do 80% and then I'll do 20%. I'll just do 1% of my salvation. No, the Bible says you're justified if you're a believer in Christ alone. Through faith alone. And it's also here, I think he's saying, not just initial faith, not just the day they believe, but ongoing faith every day that we all need to exercise as Christians. Ongoing faith that Christ is coming back someday, that though this life is hard, we're waiting for him. We have faith that he will return and set all things right. We have faith in his atoning sacrifice. We have faith that he was raised again on the third day. We have faith that the Bible is true, that God created the world. All the essential core doctrines. That kind of faith. 
That's the faith they had. Newer believers, they don't have a copy of the New Testament. And their faith is so well known, Paul says, that it is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Things are being said about the church, and it's not bad. It's not gossip. It's not that that church is heretical. It's that they're faithful. They have faith in Christ. There's an actual church in Rome, and Paul says that's being proclaimed. The word here for proclaimed, Greek is katangelo, which means to make known in public, a broad dissemination. Sometimes it's used for preaching, but sometimes it's just used for the word going out and spreading amongst the people. This word can be used for preaching, but usually it's just the idea that people are talking and spreading it, and they come to Rome, and they come to Rome to do business, and they heard about a church there because they're Christian, and they go back to their home country and tell everyone about this church in Rome. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, when we take the Lord's Supper, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It doesn't mean that every one of you are standing up preaching a sermon. The proclamation there is just that you're showing people something. You're saying something about who you are and who Jesus is just by taking the Lord's Supper. And you're proclaiming his death until he comes. So Paul's giving thanks here. He's giving thanks because of this news that he's heard ahead of his visit. He wants to go there and he's already heard about them. He's already heard of their strong faith. He's already heard that they're faithful, that they're not turning away from the Lord. That they're not listening to any Judaizers. That they're not trying to do a works-based gospel like the Galatians tried. No, they have strong faith. And you can imagine the Christians back in Jerusalem saying, there's a church in Rome. Isn't that whole city hellbound? The million people that live there all worshiping pagan gods. There's a church there. The Christians in Antioch, the Christians in Asia Minor saying, we can't believe that. Right where the seat of power is. It's sort of like when I was going to Los Angeles for a seminary. I don't want to move to Los Angeles. You know, there's a bunch of pagans out there. It's all, you know, the center of all of this sin, pornography and everything. It's the whole city, you know. People joke about it falling into the ocean. You know, I get out there. Thousands of believers. More people out there, sure. More believers out there as well. Thousands of believers that I got to know and fellowship with. There's a church in Los Angeles. There's a church in New York that's biblical. There's a church in Austin, Texas that's biblical. Yeah, it can happen. It does happen. So by the way, I changed my view. It's not such a bad place. We have many people now coming from that area to here. So I just want to put that in for you. It changed the Roman Empire eventually. Christianity change the Roman Empire. So much so that just a few decades later, let's say 90, 80, 90 years later, there's a letter written to a man named Diognetus, and it's written by a Christian. Listen to how he describes Christianity. It's not the state religion or anything at this time, but it's so prominent that people are hearing about Christians. So a Christian writes a letter and he says, every foreign land is their fatherland, and every fatherland is a foreign land for them. They marry, as do all. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. Because the Romans would put out babies they didn't want and let them die. They would essentially commit uh, abortion. And this guy's uh, surprised to hear from a Christian about that. He goes on to write, They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but do not live after the flesh. 
They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, the Roman laws. And at the same time, they surpass the laws by their lives. They go above and beyond the common everyday law. They love all men and are persecuted by all. That's what was known about Christians by the second century. So I just want to say now, you know, I'm thankful for your faith. I'm thankful for your faith in this church. That this church is being spoken of in other places. And it all comes back to your faith. Whether they mention it or not, that's what it comes back to. Now, of course, we know God has worked that in you. We know God has brought you here, as I've already said. But there are many other churches and other believers who have spoken well of this church. Many in the community. I just met a man before the service. He said, I heard you preach the word. I said, I pray that I will this morning. Pray that I will. It is being said about our church that we love Jesus Christ, that we have a faith in him, and we seek his word all over. Whether it's Curvo Bible Church or Believers Fellowship, our people in Bernie and San Antonio, word is spreading of this church and your faith. Word is spreading, not just in the local area, but all the way around the world as missionaries come through and we talk to them and then they take the message out of the gospel, but they refer often back to the churches they visited, the churches that are helping them. Even that church I mentioned a few weeks ago in Wisconsin who was looking to plant a church, and I read that email. Well, I got an update this week. Here's part of the email. He says, we've been gathering, however, streaming your services with much joy and praise to God. We've also ordered some hymnals to join the singing aspect of the worship service and intend to begin sharing communion in coordination with your services as well. So they've contacted the Master Seminary. They don't have enough people gathered yet to hire a pastor to have somebody come out and help them plant a biblical church. He goes on to say, thanks again and much brotherly love from your Wisconsin virtual church plant, Grace Home Church, Milton, watching this morning. I told Frank, I said, I didn't know we planted a church in Wisconsin. Can you, can you do that? Praise the Lord. We pray that they will grow and be able to uh, have a preacher come soon. Paul gave thanks to God for every single believer. Every single believer. What can we learn from this? Well, we've got to do the same. We've got to be thankful. We've got to be thankful to God for our church. Can you say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all who are in Grace Bible Church in Bernie? From the leaders to every member? Can we really be thankful? Aren't there people here who still sin? Aren't there people here who sometimes annoy us, sometimes do certain things? Doesn't the pastor preach too long sometimes? I mean, come on, nothing is perfect, right? Can we really give thanks for everything? Well, there's always strengths and weaknesses in every church. There's always strengths and weaknesses in every church. It's your focus. What is our focus going to be? Are we going to focus on the strengths of these people and maybe help to work on the weaknesses? Or are we going to focus on the weaknesses? When we give thanks to God, we need to focus on the strengths, the blessings. I was thinking of an illustration. I had to ask my wife for the name of this. But I remember in the 90s, they had this artwork and everywhere you went. It was in the 90s. It's called an auto stereogram or magic eye is the more popular name. And it's a 2D image with all these little images, but there's a 3D image in the background. Some of you older folks like me might remember that. In the 90s, it was a big craze. It was everywhere. And I remember 
always telling my wife, I can't see it. She's like, you got to do this thing with your eyes. Y'all remember that? Where you look out like this and step back and I still, I still can't see them. But that's a good analogy because it's a 2D image, but you've got to look past what's on the 2D to see the 3D. We've got to look past faults and weaknesses to see the ultimate thing, which is Christ building a body. We've got to step back and do something weird with our mental eyes and look past people's faults and past people's weaknesses. Martin Luther said about this passage, Christian love manifests itself in this, that it rejoices at every good thing that it sees in others, especially at their spiritual blessings and thanks God for them. John MacArthur, on this passage, he's preaching on this passage in 1981. His church is growing, thousands of people, so much that they had to build a huge auditorium in 1977. It's the current building they have there now. And you know what he said in this sermon? He said, there's so much to be thankful for. And you know, the devil always wants to say, oh, the church isn't like you like it, is it? He plays that game with me too. This is John MacArthur speaking. He says, he plays that game with me too. And then I just stop and stand back and say, but wait a minute. Look, there's so much to be thankful for. John MacArthur, one of the greatest preachers and pastors of today, even says he looks out at his huge church, everything that's going on in the seminary and all this stuff. And he says, look, there's things that I don't like, but there's so much to be thankful for. No church is perfect, but we're still called to give thanks to God for the body. We're still called to be thankful. Paul gives us that example here. I'll conclude just by quoting my favorite guy in church history, Charles Spurgeon. I tell all the new members this in class, but this is the more expanded version from his sermon about what Charles Spurgeon said about a perfect church. He says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you will feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. That's what I tell all the new members as they join. Still, imperfect as it is, he says, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. He's talking about joining a church. He says, as I've already said, the church is faulty, but that's no excuse for you're not joining it. If you are the Lord's, he says, you need to join a church. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church, he says, is the nursery for God's weak children. It's the nursery. We're all in the nursery here. We think that's the nursery. We're in the nursery here. He says, where they are nourished and grow strong, it is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. I'm so thankful to be here today with you. Thankful to preach. Thankful for all your service. You are the church. You make up the church. Yes, you come and listen to me for however long every week. But this is the church. And this is what we're thankful for. And we're thankful for people being saved. And we're thankful for the 13 members who joined. And we're thankful that God gave us this place to meet. And we should be so thankful. 
hope you'll be grateful. You'll be thankful. You'll thank God for this body that Christ has put you in. Let's pray right now. Lord, we do give you thanks. Not because we've all been made perfect, but we know that you promise we will be someday. We will be perfected. But we want to join Paul in giving thanks. Having a heart of gratitude. Knowing that we don't even deserve this. Who are we? We wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for your son dying for us. We wouldn't even know these people if we didn't have the common belief in Jesus Christ. Yet you have done so much, Lord. You have placed us here together to serve, to love one another, to live for Christ in a God-honoring way. So we love you, Lord. We have a heart of gratitude. I, I speak on behalf of this whole church that we love you and thank you for Grace Bible Church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.